Yo. Whoa. Hi. What's going on? Oh, it's going pretty good. Are the Moscow Puzzles guys already on waiting or? Nope. Nope. Okay. So that means we have free reign to do whatever we want right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm already right. recording, so I don't know that. I don't know why you had planned if you were going to say a bunch of bad words or anything. So. I was not going to say a bunch of bad words. Oh. I could I could say a bunch of bad words, though. You yeah, want me to? right. Okay. All right. ritual of sometimes finding myself watching Looney Tunes at three in the morning mm-hmm. um, was happening again last night, or should mm-hmm. I say this morning? And I started thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we as humans, now this is a very strange thought that I had. We as humans humanize animals, you know, mm-hmm. like we make basically like Bugs Bunny, like a human being. You know, Uh a bunny, like a human being, a rooster, a human being. So do you think animals ever animalize humans in their minds? (laughs) Um, I don't know, you know, and I'm not saying that in in like a dismissive way. I'm saying I've thought about uh, how animals think a lot and Mm. I, and I don't, I don't know the answer. Right. Because, yeah. Because they they do things like play and mm-hmm. um you know, they have fun. They do things that aren't just for survival. So I think on some level they must I don't know, feel things. But at the same yeah. time how they think, I don't think by our human standards we can even figure those things out. Like a lot of times they have like intelligence tests for animals and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. to see which are the smartest animals or whatever. And I think yeah. pig is the answer. But those are tests based on our intelligence. So, like, that doesn't make any sense. They could be smart and think and feel and even talk, you know, in ways that we just don't, we couldn't understand. So, yeah, sure. I don't know. Maybe they yeah. think of us as animals. I'm, I mean, we are animals. Maybe they just think of us as like, really jerky boisterous animals (laughs) yeah like i wonder it's got to be terrifying to some extent to be an animal on this earth yeah i think so too i mean think about it like you you got all these Uh, things walking around that can pick you up and they speak in a language to each other and they all look completely different from one another but then you have in nature I'm pretty sure we probably touched on this before, but like humans are just totally out of order with like the natural order. It seems like when you actually like look at how there's several, there's different species of spiders, but each species looks exactly the same, you Mm -hmm. know, like from Mm -hmm. one another, you know, you know, Uh, for the most part. Yeah. I think about that a lot with humans. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you watch like a science fiction show and, 
they show like the planet where the aliens come from. I don't know if you've seen things like that. Like maybe it's yeah. Alf the cartoon oh, or yep. maybe it's, yep. uh, there's an episode of um, Amazing Stories yep. that shows like a whole race of aliens, right? Yep, absolutely. And they, they all look just slightly different, yep. um, but they all look disgusting. Yep. Uh, I think that's probably how not only animals, but other, if aliens exist, I'm sure they see us that way. Like we get so hung up on what we look like. And uh-huh. I really feel like to an outside species, we would all just look the same and disgusting. Like yes. some of us would be taller, some would be fatter, some would be, mm-hmm. you know, have different color hair. But for the most part, we all just look nasty, probably. Just like yeah. when we look at naked mole rats, they might all be completely different in their own ways. But all we see is like this gross little naked mole rat. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to wonder if like, some of those animals actually have like personality or whatever, right. like each one is yeah. different. Like they communicate with each other. I remember um, mm-hmm. when uh, Steve Irwin died, yeah. Norm MacDonald did a bit on uh, the John Stewart show. It had to have been the daily show at that time mm-hmm. where he was talking about like how he was, people were calling him up and being like, you're never going to believe who died. The crocodile hunter. Yeah, right. <laughs> Did you ever see that? No, no. Anyway, he was talking about how, like, he was imagining that, like, the crocodiles were, like, talking to each other. And they're like, oh, man, <laughs> we had our chance. Instead, he got killed by some fish. Yeah. You know? And then he's just like. And they're like talking to each other, like, ah, yeah, I heard uh, Frank did it, you know, the stingray. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Have you ever seen that footage of the uh, octopus getting itself out of a jar? No. It it will, like, change the way you look at things, for real. (laughs) That is horrifying. No, I mean, it's really, it's, it's it's kind of beautiful in its own way. And it shows right. like an intelligence that uh, most other animals don't seem to, to have, but how big was this octopus? <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. It, it almost like changes size. I mean, it does change what? size. Yeah. You should look into octopus. Is this on, well, I, I, I do know octopus are, I've always said if there's already alien life, on earth right it would probably be in the form of whatever you can find deep in the ocean that we haven't seen yet because there's gotta be tons of i mean they just discovered like not that long ago a species of fish that is like basically like flashlights yeah like they they you know they light up it's like what can be more alien than that kind of stuff and like bioluminescence yeah yeah, it's it's funny because we've probably been further into space than we have into our own ocean. Right. That's pretty disconcerting kind of, I don't know. Like, and it's kind of beautiful though. Like, I don't know, you know me, I love mysteries and the fact that it is still a mystery. What we live on and next to is totally insane. Yeah. It's a puzzle. If you will. It is. It's Oh, 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 <laughs> Oh my gosh. It is like a puzzle. Yeah. Like a Moscow puzzle. Whoa. <laughs> nice. I did miss that one. Um, that was a good one. That was a good one. Anyway. Um, I suppose that 
now would be the best time to do the introduction, then. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, citizens of Earth. Welcome to Accelerative Thrust. I am Dan. And I'm Eric. And here we interview really cool bands from Iowa City, um, as well as, you know, <laughs> on other episodes, we review underground experimental, not so experimental music. And once in a while, we'll talk about the meaning of life. Yeah, um, mysteries. And mysteries and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. no, I was just going to say, life is pretty amazing when you actually think about it. it there's so much undiscovered about it um, that, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe we're the aliens, you know? Could be. I don't know. know. Yeah, it's hard telling. But um, yeah, so uh, today <laughs> we are going to be talking to Moscow Puzzles, who are a mm -hmm. fantastic two-piece instrumental group uh, who we've reviewed both of their releases, actually. And uh, they mm -hmm. just put out their new album, which is fantastic, called Cicadas mm -hmm. Are Sensitive to Parallel Lines. But also, if you go to their pan camper. Look them up on Spotify, an experimental arrangement of rabbits. Mm -hmm. And they also have a basic math demo. That's a cool nice. name. I like that yeah. on uh, their band camp. But uh, anyway, we're excited to talk to them. They're also affiliated with 5CM Recordings, who, of course, we talked to Haploid before. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to Tobin and Tony from yeah. Moscow Puzzles. So and they're waiting, so I'm going to bring them in. Let's bring them in. Hey there. Hey, what's going on? How's it going, guys? Going good. Yeah, it's doing we were great. just talk we were just talking about your band. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We uh we really like your band. Yeah. Well, thanks. I guess I'll just kind of start with it. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the history of Moscow Puzzles and uh what led to forming like a an instrumental band? Uh any bands you might have been in before Moscow Puzzles? <laughs> Well, I think so. Tony and I have been playing together in different groups for like a really long time, I would say. You know, a lot of stuff that maybe didn't get off the ground so much, but a lot of stuff we, we tried to make work. Uh, we're both from like the area. And um, I think this time it just kind of clicked, I guess. Like before, we had always tried to get like other members or we had other people uh, come in. But I think. Uh, there was one time we were just jamming the two of us and I had brought like a looper with me and we were just messing around with that and it just clicked and for us and it just felt like, oh, this is totally a thing um, that we can do. Um, I think we decided to go instrumental just because neither of us is a great singer. <laughs> so yeah. it's really just so where that true. comes from. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I can give a kind of a little bit of context. And yeah, Tobin and I have been playing music together for, I don't know, at least 10 years. Um, and um, one of the reasons why I think this worked was we had taken a break from playing for a couple of years. We got back together um, and all of our previous sort of projects had been uh, mired with personnel issues. Um, we did a lot of recruiting on, you know, Craigslist and, and you know, through friends and uh, for one reason or another, um, uh, those bands kind of fall apart. And when we had started playing again, we thought, well, we can spend, you know, months, perhaps years working on these small projects and then have something, have someone leave for, you know, reasons, you know, perfectly legitimate reasons. I don't mean to, to bash people like, you know, people move on, 
but we were always here and we just yeah. thought, why don't we just why don't we just do something and that way we can just focus on the music for you know the first time in a yeah. yeah yeah i think there's also another piece in that um we started this band shortly before covid um mm-hmm. happened and we played our first show in january of 2020 um and then once we'd been practicing for a, a few months uh, before that and once covid happened even if we did want to try and add someone we could Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah. you know, we had to make this work or we just don't play anything for years. Um, and right. yeah. some extra motivation there. So was it a conscious decision to kind of just remain like a two piece or were you guys ever trying to, you know, get a bass player or did you just want to keep it that way? I think not, it wasn't at the beginning, but at some point we kind of made that decision. Like, I think we had gotten far enough and we had like, made enough stuff that we were into enough that we're just like, you know, and I, I would say for me personally, like as the guitar player, like I've always had a hard time writing with stuff because I get easily distracted by like mm-hmm. other ideas and the, with just having the two piece and like having to rely on just trying to be able to do that with just the two piece is like, it like really puts like constraints on me in terms of what I can do. And so it's nice seeing that like, it's a lot easier for me to just work on stuff without getting distracted too, mm-hmm. which I really like. I, I, I completely agree with that. Constraints um, help us a lot instead yeah. of, you know, we can't figure out how to make the sound. We need to add like a synth or we need to add another guitarist. It's just, we have just us and these instruments in front of us. How can we make this interesting? I think it helped us both. I have a question about how this all works, how the construction of what you guys do works, because I, I think a lot of times when you think of a two piece, it doesn't sound exactly like you guys because it's so fleshed out and full. And I think a lot of that has to do with using um, loops as you guys play. So I guess my question is, do you start with a initial loop and then kind of base the drums on that loop and then play other things over that or how, you know, like how does that layering work? Do you have those parts written or some of it written and then some of it's improv or whatever? I mean, I guess just your process, you know? Yeah. I would say definitely like the, the loop is like definitely like the hook or something like when we're writing the song, like, and like, I know like an idea is like one we should run with like, when like I have a really solid loop that like kind of like sticks in my head or something, like mm-hmm. even after I stop playing it or something like that. And then you can just go from there, you know? And then, yeah, we usually add the drum parts next. And then I kind of mess around after Tony's kind of set his groove underneath with trying to find something to go on top. Uh, in terms of improv, I would say it's kind of a mixed bag. Like, mm-hmm. I'd say about maybe like on the record we just put out, like maybe a third, maybe a little more is improv. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's like a healthy amount of it, but like, it's definitely like we have like built in sections. Like this is the improv section. This is like the, this is the written part. And we kind of transition from song to song that way. Do you approach it the same live as you do in the studio? Like on the studio recordings, are we hearing, you got you two guys just playing the songs or is it approached differently entirely you're you're hearing us yeah. going through the matter of fact we didn't even have the option when we went to record this we thought we might be able to do this um sort of uh, to punch in and change stuff mm-hmm. we were told nope you play the whole thing okay. entirely through and 
Yeah. I mean, that's how Tobin and I've always recorded when we were recording right. in, in, yeah. in my basement. It's just one take. And that's I think cool. we do that. We do that. We do it on purpose. Um, we mm -hmm. like, we like live music. Um, I, I was, I guess, I don't know, inspired to play music because I went and saw a lot of shows and, you know, high school. And I always wanted to sort of be in a band uh, to write music that could translate well to, you know, a live show. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, studio acts are, are really cool and, and, and overdubbing is great. And I think we actually do like one or two little studio tricks mm -hmm. um, on this record, but we do try and keep everything as translatable to the, you know, the live show as we can. We're both into that. I, I think maybe I can speak for myself and maybe for Tony, I think it's just like the live show for us has always been thought of as like the main event. So, you know, and like almost the record, not to downplay the record, but the record, but it's, that's and that's kind of how i've always felt about kind of music in general so it's always kind of one of those things where it's like i don't want to do anything on the record that i can't recreate live sure because you know so the, the live show is always kind of the main event which is also why we build in a lot of improv because that stuff works really well live so mm -hmm. do it in the studio too so yeah yeah um I'm, I'm interested actually uh because on both of the uh releases that eric and i uh reviewed there seems to be a lot of um a level of precision to them. Like, I mean, seriously, like, I think it's just really tight sounding. Do you guys struggle with getting that one take? Yeah. I would say on the first one, we struggled more with that, but on the second one, we didn't, I think it's one of those things where like, mm -hmm. honestly, I think it's especially hard for Tony because like, you know, I'm record the loop and it's like coming out of my amp and you know he's on the other side of the room and he's really because he's the drummer he really has to lock in with it mm -hmm. so it's one of those things that i think it was just like a thing of like we it was like a whole skill to learn to be able to play to it that like took us some time to like mm -hmm. learn how to do and then once we learned it though we kind of stopped having to think about it you know it's just like anything else right we've gotten sure. we've gotten better at it but i think yeah. um it, it, it was a real struggle in the beginning um, we tried a lot of different approaches on how to do that. Um, we tried, I was really concerned about monitoring, being able to hear it on, you know, uh, on, on a stage. And I think we tried four or five different sort of monitoring and recording configurations until we finally found something. And, uh, the trick is, as we learned, you ignore all that and you just record everything live, uh, even when you're on the stage and, you know, if it goes well, it goes well, if it doesn't, it doesn't. We tried pre-recorded loops for a long time, and then we could just never get those to lock in. It always sounded very kind of you know on a on a on a grid, um, and it made improvising over it hard. Yeah, it just didn't have the same feel. Like if you had like a pre-recorded loop that you were like triggering or something. Yeah, it just had a very different feel to it. So, and we just decided, and it was easier to keep time to when you recorded it in the moment for some whatever reason. I don't understand why, but it does. So this might be a little too specific of a question. So yeah. when you guys start out, usually is it Tobin lays down a loop and then Tony, you join, or do you guys jam on something for a little bit and then just keep that going? Does that I make would, sense? Yeah, no, yeah. I would say every, everything is very, um, uh, everything is very sort of jam oriented when we're writing. Um, yeah. There have been songs where um, Tobin has come with, you know, a, a loop or, or a riff or something and, there have been songs where I come with the initial idea and we write something out of that. I can think of examples where we've done, we've done both. Um, yeah. There are songs where, where, where I start and then Tobin plays over the drums and what have you. We try and, I don't know if we do this consciously, but it just so happens that if we sort of 
do everything the same way. All the songs kind of sound the same, you know, Tobin records a loop and then we play over it and that loop goes the whole time. Um, I think if I had one sort of complaint about our really early stuff is it mm -hmm. followed that formula a lot. We changed that up and I think it makes things sound more dynamic and, and, and more interesting. Yeah, that was an aspect of the la the latest recording that that's why I was curious about if it was like one take or overdubs or something, because you will have something going for a little while and then it'll just change. Uh, and that happening live and you guys just playing off of each other is pretty amazing. That's super cool. I don't know. I'm kind of a gear person. So do you kind of have those loops saved at that point and you can kind of go back to them or when you make those 180 degree turns is it just a new thing happening right at that moment it's 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 100 my the looper i'm using currently doesn't you can't really save stuff on it cool. so mm -hmm. when you know there's songs where i yeah i hit the stop switch i clear it out record the next loop cool and that's all going on as part of the song you know people have told me like when they see me live that they're like you're constantly doing things with your feet and yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's kind of true so because i'm kind of i'm doing yeah it's all done live and there's nothing like pre-recorded or saved or anything like that right and you're probably also running like different effects loops and and chains and things too in there right so yeah. when you go to a new part do you change the sound and and things like that um, a little, I actually, you know, I actually don't have that. There's not that many of effects that I use. Um, for the most part, it's mostly just like the looper, a little reverb. And then I have like distortion. Uh, that's basically what I use. Um, because I found if like, I add a bunch of effects. Yeah. Then when the shifts happen, it's like way harder to manage, you know, it's super noticeable and stuff. So like, you know, there's a few effects tossed in here and there, but for the most part, I try to keep it pretty, pretty simple. Cool. One of the aspects of uh, cicadas are sensitive to parallel lines that um, Eric and I talked about um, that in comparison to an experimental arrangement of rabbits uh, is sort of, it sounded like the, uh, there was sort of a uh, transition happening a little bit in terms of like, sound and uh i guess texture in that this record sounded a little more um a little dirtier i guess or a little darker kind of in comparison was that kind of a uh something that you guys had in mind when you were recording this record uh, i would say yeah for the most part i mean maybe not maybe not grungier darker definitely when i was thinking about like stuff i was really into or listening to a lot when we were like making like the first one, I was definitely going for more, maybe kind of like a little bit more of like a laid back kind of feel, you know, a little kind of maybe spacier um, kind of feel. Uh, and then we kind of done that. We did that and I got a little tired of, of doing that kind of a feel. And mm -hmm. wanted to do something a little, yeah, something a little darker, maybe a little more dissonant, maybe a little more like, yeah, grungy or whatever. So then like we tried that for for that record. The guitar tones on on this record, sounded more like something like Fugazi-ish or something like, whereas like on Experimental Arrangement of Rabbits, guitar tone sounded like, I guess, more uh, cinematic, I guess, or like just sort of more, um, I guess, reverby, like indie, indie rockish, I guess you could say. 
Like, again, I hate kind of throwing around all these terms. It's just more for like lack of a better way to describe them. And that, that's one of the cool things I really liked about this new record. That was kind of the feel I think we were kind of going for, you know, in a lot of ways. So that's, that's good to hear. Yeah. I think that was a kind of conscious shift on our part. So one of the, one of the things that I remember when we started writing these uh, songs, I think the first song we wrote and finished was channel nine. The second one was Radix um, and Radix in my mind was always the, I referred to it uh, as the shellac song um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, I guess we were listening to a lot of shellac and um, sort of that post-punk, you know, sort of the start stops that you sort of hear and like, particularly like Todd trainers drumming and just, uh, they're a big influence on us. And I think, I think we were, we were trying to make things darker, but I think we we're trying to make things punkier and sort of just as an experiment. And then I think the experiment paid off. I think we could, you know, we, we listened to a lot of noise. I think we got to integrate a lot of that, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of the, the punkier side of our influences that maybe we weren't able to do as much on the first EP. Yeah. I would I'd say, think about that going back, just going back to the constraints thing is it's like, uh, being able to loop is easier when you're playing kind of softly <laughs> than when you're playing like super aggro. So I think that was one of those things where like we got better at things. And so like we were able to get more aggressive, which on the first one, we kind of hadn't figured out the whole dynamic yet, or just also with being with like a two piece, like not having a vocalist and not having a bassist with like super aggressive music. It's usually like super repetitive uh, you know, and things like that. And like, it works much better when you have like a full band. So being mm -hmm. comfortable with kind of like playing aggro music with, without like that full band was also something we kind of had to like work ourselves up to do. So mm -hmm. one of the sort of consistent things we, um, always kind of think about is how can we keep things from sounding thin? Cause there's only two of us, like, what can we do to fill up the space? Um, and I think when we played more aggressive music early on, we couldn't do it. Like it was just, everything sounded thin and tinny. And I know we made, I know Tobin has made changes in like EQing and his effects chain. And I changed the way I tuned the drums and, you know, we, I guess we've learned a lot and um, we hope things don't sound thin. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of our goal. I, I just have to ask real quick, um, being a shellac fan, you mentioned shellac. What's your favorite shellac album? Uh, Tobin, you go first. Um, maybe either, uh, excellent Italian Greyhound or at action park Okay, between one of those two. See, I, I thought, I thought excellent Italian Greyhound was not going to be the right answer. I love the first <laughs> half of that record so much. It's so good. It's not yeah. to say that the back half is bad, but like the first half really stands out in my mind. Yeah. I, Steady I as she goes is a banger. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible great stuff. So yeah, that's a guys... good way to lead into maybe some other influences too. What, what are not just on the current stuff, but since the beginning, what are some things that really influenced, I don't know, you guys personally, but also in this project, if that's not too wide of a scope. Yeah. I mean, I think for, I think it's, it has changed a bit. Like uh, definitely when we were going for the first one, I was, I was going through like a really heavy, like tortoise phase at the time. So that was like a big touch point for that. And a lot of like, I was also listening to like, a, maybe like a lot more like, like electronic music, which kind of ties in with like the looping kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it kind of grew and it got more into like, yeah, on the second record, more of like that, like 
shellac fugazi kind of territory on the which is also stuff i think tony and i have both always liked for like a long time so it's kind of changed over time is there anybody else you want to toss in there tony i'm kind of drawing a blank oh no i um speaking from my personal experience when i started playing music i would say um sort of uh 90s indie rock uh, post-punk um i listened to a lot of like new metal in middle school late middle school early high school uh, which is um, very interesting to say because that's now cool again. But um, at the time, it very much was not. The bands that sort of um, showed me that there was, you know, better worlds are possible were like um, Sonic Youth, were Yola Tango, were um, uh, Shellac, Slint, uh, Silkworm. Like these, these are the bands that made me want to play music. Uh, and I would say that they've always been a sort of a, a consistent influence in, of mine, whatever we're doing. Um, I kind of got to dig into that more on this, uh, more, more recent record than the earlier one, but I, I think they're always there for both me and Tobin. Another element is just a, a kind of a, a noise in general. Um, we're both into, and what am I missing? I feel like I'm missing, missing something key here. Yeah. Um, no, I know, I know what I'm missing. Um, obviously post-rock, <laughs> um, uh, I also listened to, listen to a lot of that. Um, and to sort of, I mean, to, an, to another extent, like prog music, mm-hmm. um, I would never compare myself to some of the prog drummers of the seventies. Um, but you know, they're, they're aspirational figures of mine. And I think that's where we kind of got the idea to just, we can just make things longer and that's okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do you still have an appreciation for new metal at all, Tony? that that's an interesting question i it's really interesting to see it just come back Mm -hmm. um there are bands that i definitely think are better than others and have sort of uh, stood the test of time in a way Mm -hmm. not that i listen to them and this is going to sound terrible because like i'm really not like i don't really like criticizing you know anything because it was a product of its time right sure um 100 yeah um, I think, um, I think, I think probably like Slipknot, Iowa, um, mm-hmm. I would stay holds up. If I was more into death metal, I'd probably still listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else kind of holds up? My God, a lot of the stuff I listened to was really, really rappy, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess if, if, if I, if I, if I give it credit, um, it helped me think about, you know, music can be harder, can be heavier. And then I think, I think, I think I probably don't start, I, I probably don't listen to like noise punk without listening to new metal first you mm-hmm. know yes i was gonna say if anything if anything is out there that new metal definitely offered i think for the people who are interested in going further mm-hmm. delving further into like underground music it definitely provided a fantastic gateway into a lot of things i think that's a really sure. good way to look at it i think it i think it was certainly a gateway i think Prague was also kind of my gateway to like post-rock too so sure yeah mm-hmm. Just had to ask the new metal question. <laughs> no, please. I, I, I see it's, it's, it's bad because I'm drawing a blank right now. Had you asked me that question like a couple days ago, I would have been able to give you yeah. a long list. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I you wasn't were prepared for the that. new metal question. I blew it. Deep yeah. in a new metal rabbit hole. In the new metal ago. rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how do you, how do you guys feel you've been received? Um, I, I mean, you guys have, when you guys started out, it was, you mentioned it was during COVID, right? Right. And so you weren't really, you probably didn't have playing shows really on the mind as much at that point because of what was going on. 
I would I would suspect, but you guys have definitely been playing more shows. How do you feel um you've been received like around um I guess this the Midwest scene? And then on top of that, I guess this would also be a good time to ask um what are some uh area bands that you would recommend checking out? Uh, I know you guys you, you put out uh cicadas are sensitive to parallel lines on five cm recordings and uh that's a label that you know both of us are really into right now like the haploid uh is is a great band what are you guys' experience with the regional scene here yeah i mean haploid are are, are fucking great <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really great um we've we've gotten chances to play with them and see them live a bunch of times if you haven't gotten a chance to see them live you really should they're really incredible um, excellent it's awesome to find like another band to like in like the state to like that like you know you can play shows with and stuff like that who are like that good and stuff and they're awesome um like generally yeah i think the reception has generally been pretty positive I mean, I think we've had maybe one or two shows where it kind of like went over weird, but uh, those were just shows where they were kind of like uh, weird crowds to start with, you know, like, you know, the median age was like 58 or something, you know? I mean, like, yeah. I think we're, I think we're conscious that uh, an instrumental duo has limited yeah. reach. Uh, a but, lot you know, of people like lyrics <laughs> and like, yeah, I, I feel like that to people. If we're if we're on a bill with like similar ish bands, it usually the reception's pretty pretty good. Um, in terms of some other regional people that we'd like to shout out, um, there's this band that we got a chance to play with in Omaha who are really great called Pagan Athletes. I think they have one coming out soon here. Who were we got to play a show with them and they're really incredible. Maybe a little bigger. Yeah, we played we played in, recently in Chicago, and both the bands we played with were really great there. Um, one's called Lower Automation. Um, they're like this really cool, like maybe like I mean not maybe pretty like straight up like mathcore kind of stuff, and they're really great. And we also got to play with this band Standard, who are really awesome. Uh, they're kind of I, it felt like a really nice fit to be on the bill with them because they're like an improvisational like post metal instrumental band cool. which felt like a really good fit for us so kind of like us but with maybe like more of like a sludgy doom vibe to them tony is there anybody else popping up to you or when i think about the 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 local scene and i am kind of hesitant to, to list people because i will miss someone because i wasn't prepared yeah. for this question yeah. but <laughs> um <laughs> but um obviously haploid or or alzheimer's i don't think this band would have existed without matthias and kaylee picking up our first release As a matter of fact i'm pretty confident that it wouldn't have because i think during covid we probably would have practiced for a while and said, I don't know who's going to listen to this and then tried something else. Yeah. Um, getting a, a physical on five centimeter was a sign that someone else cared about it. That wasn't us. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think it, at least it gave me the motivation to, Oh, let's expand on this idea. Let's see what we mm -hmm. can do. Uh, definitely them. When I think about, I mean, there are other, there are other Iowa city labels that are great. Um, pretty much everything on pokey's records. Um, uh, sure. you know, we're into yes. every time I see psyop, it is, a, a better experience than the last uh love them uh, uh wombat uh justin comer stuff oh yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. played with them a couple times it, it's really funny when we first started this interview i said we wouldn't have known any bassists to play with even or sort of anyway so we we're just mm -hmm. gonna be a duo part of the reason we became a duo was we wouldn't even know who to call at this point i feel like after playing shows for a few years we would we know tons of people 
and yeah, yeah. just getting involved with the music scene like it's, it's it's such it's so different there's so much talent here and uh it's just a, a it's an it's an honor to have met so many good so many good musicians but those are just the acts that come to mind should not be seen as an exclusive list by any means right 100 percent. a lot of stuff going on in the area that's for sure so I bet I bet Wombat and you guys is a perfect, just about a perfect match to see live. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I don't I don't know. We I don't think we've played with Wombat. We played with one of Comer's other projects. Okay. One time. Um, he but has yeah, a no. few. <laughs> so, yeah, unblessed rest of us. Unblessed rest of us. That's yeah. cool. That yeah. was that's amazing. I yeah, love the unblessed rest of us. Yeah. I I mean I would I would just go ahead and say well that I mean. Mentioning him reminds me too of just like there's so much at least around here in Iowa City of like that kind of more like free improv mm-hmm. kind of stuff um, right now. Uh, there's his stuff and there's a bunch of other people too, um, and like just going to those shows a lot around town. Like I think definitely kind of like showed up <laughs> in the rat on the record just because it, it just felt kind of like one of those things where it's just like I don't think I was even conscious of it. It was just like. Oh, this is like the thing I'm listening to live or like a lot right now. And also just kind of being more like, there's a couple sections where I'm doing stuff that's more like not to like throw in or like, like kind of Derek Bailey esque or whatever that I'm throwing in just because like, um, you know, it's also kind of one of those things that it's like, Oh, people are into this. I should, I should try to do throw this into this too and stuff. And so, um, I think that's a cool part about being in Iowa city is there's a lot of that kind of stuff too. And I think that had a bit of an influence on the record too. Are, are you guys influenced by soundtracks or scores at all? I just kind of feel like some of your music is kind of reminds me of that, you know, like almost like a guitar and drum approach to like soundtrack score movies and stuff like that. I mean, there's like a few scores that like I all listen to. I, I wouldn't say, you know, uh, anything, you maybe, I don't know. I, I would almost say like, uh, I think that some people like, you know, like who I think have been like really influential just on like the way I write music and especially the way I use loopers, like, um, you know, like one off the tricks point never who, uh, he feels very explicitly indebted to scores. And so it might be like via that, you know, like I'm inspired by people who were inspired by scores or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Tony, do you have any thought on that or I'm trying to remember. Um, I, I don't listen to uh, a, a lot of soundtracks, not because I am against it, but just because I don't even think I'd know what to look for. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, yeah, I'm like definitely uh, like a big, like jealous fan, <laughs> you know, that might sound weird, but, uh, or like, uh, in terms of really great scores, um, the, one of my favorite is the score Neil Young did for Dead Man. Not sure if anyone knows that. Yeah, one. Jim Jarmusch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where it's, yeah. Where it's yeah, all it's... like Neil Young doing like drum, like proto drone metal type right. stuff. Yeah, it's, that's right up my alley. So, yeah. yeah. Do you uh, listen to Earth by chance? Then, as oh, yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh yeah. Because um, I was wondering about that because it's not like musically I hear a ton of similarities, but the the approach, I hear some similarities, but the only reason I mention that is because, yeah, that sort of twangy proto, like you said, like doom metal stuff, the approach seems to be somewhat similar, how those are put together uh, with what you guys do, even though the result might be 
pretty different. You know, it's, I, I haven't listened to like earth in a while, but it was like, there was a phase in my life where that was like in constantly heavy rotation. Yeah. And so it's, it's definitely probably seeped in and I've seen them a couple of times. So it's definitely like seeped in to me and at like, mm -hmm. as a player at some level, that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I would completely agree with that. And, um, just to jump back to the score question, there's a yellow tango record, um, that I'm now remembering was a film score. Uh, it's called the sounds of the sounds of silence. It was from some, uh, a French film. So I take it back. I have listened to one score that I've really enjoyed <laughs> and I have a physical copy of it around here somewhere. So yeah, so maybe, maybe, maybe that kind of, you know, seeped in like, like earth did to us. Mm -hmm. Right. Somewhere. Right. Yeah. What's that? Uh, Yola Tenga album that has that ridiculous album title. Uh, I am not afraid of you and I will beat your ass. Right. <laughs> that, that's Classic. just, I, it's like, wow. Like a band like Yella Tango is going to name their album that. <laughs> yeah, that is great. <laughs> it's hilarious. This kind of goes back to some other things, but you're talking about shellac a little bit. Um, and I know the latest thing you worked on uh, or recorded you did with Luke Tweedy. And in my experience, and this goes way back, but uh, it seemed like he was really into the shellac and things that sort of had that feel to it. Did you guys um, have sort of a a common vocabulary, sort of musical vocabulary with Luke that you were able to kind of have a shorthand with him when you were doing the record? Yeah, and I mean, definitely, <laughs> I would say. Like, I mean, it felt really lucky to that, like Luke is like, you know, right, right in our backyard, you know, that it's just like this guy who's doing like, who does a really great job. It's really affordable. And like, you know, you go in there and you're like, you don't have to like, kind of like, you know, uh, you know, there's plenty of people who you could go in and just be like, yeah, you kind of have to like vaguely suggest, you know, what kind of stuff you're into because they're not familiar with it. But like, you know, you go in there and he knows exactly what you're talking about. Like when you're just like, oh yeah, we're really into like shellac and like Don Cab or whatever. And he's just mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, he 100% knows exactly what to do <laughs> when you say that. And oh. that's, that's awesome. And like, you know, he even had like the, like, he even has like this special rare snare that like uh that Todd Trainer uses and he just like pulled it out and like gave it to Tony. Yeah, he hands he hands it to me wow. and goes, play this. Yeah, it was, it's, I was you know I was very impressed. Yeah, he, he did like a really great job on it. It's just like one of those things where it's like, you know, it was kind of going in where you'd be kind of worried trying to explain to like the guy, like, you know, if it's you know, some people you would have to kind of explain what you're trying to go for, but he just he just knows. So that was mm -hmm. that was great. Right. But I also think Luke, not to speak for Luke, but, um, sort of follows that ethos of like, uh, the, the type of experience you'd get at electrical audio, um, where it is, mm -hmm. you know, the band is very, uh, front and center. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do anything to your music that you guys don't want me to. Um, uh, I'm not going to try and fit it to fit anyone's vision, but yours. Mm -hmm. So we were very actively involved in the whole process everything from tracking to mixing, even as we had to track many times, you asked, uh, uh, I think it was, I think it was Eric. You asked if we recorded in one take. Um, it, it, absolutely not. Um, many, 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 many takes uh, had to be made right. to make those work. Cause it, it was my first time in the studio anyway. And, um, I, there was a lot of 
it's not tension. It's just, it's just, you know, it's a new experience. I'm not used to being under all uh, under so many microphones. And so yeah. he's very patient with us too, which, uh, yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember now I go back and think, I think we had like three of the songs we banged out in like two or three takes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, there were like other songs that like we spent so much time <laughs> I'm on like one song in particular, we spent so much time on, yeah. but then there were like two or three that were just like a couple of takes and we got them. So cool. Yeah. So since you guys sort of, uh, construct the songs as you go, was it like, uh, this is going to be a silly question, but is it like you would be going along and everything would be great for like the first three minutes of the take and then just blow it. Tillman plays something wrong and then we stop and we start over. And, right. Uh, yeah. Over and over and over and over again. I can see how that would be yep. equally liberating and totally frustrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes and you I just think... have to stop and take a break. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something we and learned. I, yeah. And I think, uh, with the one song that it was the third song of the album salted pine that took us forever that song is so tightly constructed <laughs> and that there's like so many little points in there that's like if you don't hit this note at this right point at this right in the exact right way like the whole thing just falls apart and yeah. it's also a very long song <laughs> so it was just a lot of just <laughs> trying to get again and again and again oh that is so, the worst um, you get to like the last eight measures or something and then just wipe out. Yep. <laughs> it sucks. Right. <laughs> Pretty much. And you, you guys know? had recorded uh, yourselves up to this point. So like when you guys were doing the recordings yourselves, did you also approach it the same way where it was live takes? Um, and if so, did you have like set aside time for recording sort of like in the studio or did it just happen when you had time, you know what I mean? Like how did they differ between recording yourself and being at the studio? I mean, I think being at the studio was nice in a way because it was like, we had like two days to track everything as opposed to like when we were recording the first thing at Tony's, it was very much like we set up all the mics and everything. And we set up all the rig down in his basement and then like, I'd come over to this place during our normal practice time, like twice a week or whatever. And we would just run through a song like five times and trying to get like the right take or whatever. And I think that can be kind of not a good way to do it in a lot of ways. Cause you very much feel like there's always like, Oh, we, you can always do better, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you have that like time crunch, you'd be like, well, no, we, we get X amount of takes and we're just going to choose the best one from those takes. Right. And I think that's a lot better way to do it than just to be like week after week trying to go and just get that, do a better version, do a better version, do a better version. So right. uh, what just, what that made me think of, you know, Luke is such a, a skilled engineer that when we do it, you know, we can always think of like a different mic configuration. What if we put like the mm-hmm. 58 on the, the, on this other drum or what if we try two mics or, you know, what if we try something with a different polarity pattern? Um, when you're recording with someone who knows what they're doing, uh, uh, clearly backwards and forwards, like Luke, he knows exactly what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think we ever change the mics on the drums once. Uh, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. I think yeah, Tobin may I have heard. changed. You may have went through a few amps. But, no, I, I think I just used my 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 main one. 
Yeah. You know, I think he changed, or there was one that he tried for like the first minute of the very first take. And then Luke was like, no. And then that was, <laughs> so, so and the record sounded better because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded better because of that. So there's so again, no those constraints may have helped keep things in line a little bit and move forward a little yeah, bit better. Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the sense of space on cicadas, I mean, just the, the sound we, we were not getting that in my basement by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't care how many mics we had or how much stuff we put on the walls. Well, yeah, I mean, there's was, there was plenty of space. The problem was like, you know, too much of it, you know, right. like, like basement, you know, right. but I mean, I think we're kind of happy with the way that one came out um, in terms of just the sound. Cause I think Even we the were constraints. Yeah. Like what we, yeah, had. I think we were going for a kind of a little more of like a lo-fi sound to it too. So, so do you think that um, recording with uh, at flat black, do you think that also this is kind of reverting a little bit back to the comparisons and sounds of the two albums? Do you think that uh, that contributed to the punkier side of this as well, of this release? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think just, you know, like I was saying about like, there's that kind of like unspoken, like, or like, I guess spoken, but like, you know, when we kind of say this direction, like, you know, he knows way better how to get that sound out of what we're doing in the room with mic placement and how he's mixing and EQing things than we would down in the basement mm -hmm. because down in the basement, like we're just going based off of like a lot of things of like, well, uh, we only have X amount of mics and you know, uh, we're in X space and I don't know how to do this. So like, you know, we can't do this cause I don't really feel comfortable setting up a stereo pair or whatever, or like right. stuff like that. So like, you're really constrained and like with him, he knows what you're going for and he knows how to do it. And that's so he can just run with it. So, yeah. Cool. I think you're also constrained. I think you're also constrained. I don't know if I'm actually going, okay, good. My green lights on. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if you're, we're also constrained by the room. Like we had to do so much correction for all the reverb and, you know, sure. uh, mm -hmm. all the pavement in a basement. Um, and this discussion made me think of uh, a track we did, um, uh, a soccer fan's worst nightmare on our EP. That's the loudest song. It was the, there's the most distortion. There's the, there's the most noise in it. And I remember having to spend so much time on that and trying to get the headroom down. And eventually we, it was, we, I think, I think we found that it was very much, much more difficult to record louder, noisier stuff in a basement yeah. than sort of the cleaner melodic stuff. Mm -hmm. So we knew we wanted to take this next record of cicadas at the time, um, to, a you know, a, a real studio. And so I, we weren't limited by that. We thought we're not gonna record yeah, this here, so we can get as loud as we want. We can get as noisy as we want. Um, and so I think that definitely influenced as well. Mm -hmm. Um, opened us up a little bit to more possibilities. Sure. Did Luke show you uh, the big gong that's sitting over to the side? I wanted to play that gong so badly. <laughs> we... Man, <laughs> he took he took um um the the band that I recorded with last uh, a couple weeks ago. Our drummer Jeff he took his drumsticks and was like, "You can do so many things with this gong." And Luke just started making all these sounds that I'm like, I didn't know you could do that with a gong. Like you could literally make like an entire like drone record with just a gong and no one would know the difference. It's amazing. <laughs> we were this close to putting overdubs. I really wanted to play that gong. I really wanted to stick overdubs <laughs> in the end of it. 
uh, particularly I think like at the end of Colt. Yeah. Um, but I think we just didn't have the time at the end. Yeah. If we had, if we had more time, we would have, we would have really done a number on that. Gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it would have fit totally into your music, man. That, that, that would be so cool to hear. <laughs> no, I, um, I think that's a goal for next time. Yeah. Uh, cool. more esoteric percussion. That's awesome. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. If we can get it to work. So do you guys yeah. have, um, some shows coming up or plans for uh, other releases or do, what do you have coming up? Um, so I think we might have, um, we have some shows that were like nothing solid yet, but we're definitely talking about doing with people um, right now. We also, so right after the last record came out, maybe a couple of months uh, Tony moved out of town for a little bit. So, um, so we kind of had a little pause. Uh, he came back. We immediately really learned a bunch of the material because we did like a little tour type thing. And, uh, we just kind of got done with that recently. So I think we're very much at the point of just like now start writing. Yeah. <laughs> we're writing the right next now, record. So right. To start working on that stuff and i think that's where yeah right yeah definitely um and i think we'll probably end up playing some shows in may um those are sort of the they're 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 in the works and we don't want to stop playing shows while we're writing um but um i think writing will be our next um getting another record out will be our our sort of top priority cool cool yeah i definitely can't wait to hear that new stuff from moscow puzzles (laughs) yeah for sure well, thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, absolutely. We're um, thrilled that 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 people like it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's still nuts to me that like literally anybody cares. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, uh, so you know, it's great. So it's great to hear anything. So yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you guys so much uh, for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to ask on a just a off the cuff kind of thing. Tony, what kind of microphone are you using? Like it sounds uh, this amazing. Is, <laughs> this is a this is a seven B. Excuse okay. me. This is an, an, an yeah an, an SM seven B. Okay. Um, I turned all the presence <laughs> settings off. The little switches on the back. Okay. Um, but um, in general, this is. I actually found this on Craigslist for really cheap. Uh, oh wow! So. As you can see, I'm using a fifty eight. So it's like the bare minimum <laughs> yeah oh, well, I mean, it also sounds good i mean i think in general if, if it's a sure it's it sounds yeah, good but yeah true. i agree <laughs> yep uh, not to plug sure that sounds yeah. really bad <laughs> lots of microphones sound good but i'm i, I i'm not i'm not a, i'm not a production guy tobin did all the production on the ep mm-hmm. he's really the the engineer um and how I do just, you feel about sure microphones <laughs> yeah ask, ask, ask tobin I've used like three microphones in my life, a 7B, um, uh, 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 excuse me, a 57 and a 58 and a 7B. So that's, that's my microphone knowledge. Um, Well, do you guys have anything else uh, you'd like to say? Any last words, any, anything you guys want to plug? Yeah. Last words, famous last words. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, thanks for having us on. Thanks to everybody who's, listening to the stuff, you know? Yeah, cool. absolutely. I would, I would, I would double that. I didn't mean to cut you off though. Oh, good. I think I didn't. and I are not sitting in the same room in case it's not apparent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, I, I'll just say that 
it meant a lot of, a lot a lot to us uh, for accelerative thrust to cover our first ep i mean that was the only media attention that that record got and sort of like when um Thias and Kaylee liked our stuff um yeah. hearing our album covered on accelerative thrust and heard people give a, a thoughtful review of it i think definitely made us think that maybe we maybe we should keep doing this and but so it was a pleasure to that's always awesome. a pleasure to listen to all of it so we're excited to see you guys and hear what you come up with next and you're gonna make cool. me blush tony well it's, it's, it's the truth <laughs> eric and dan thank you so much for having us yeah yeah, yeah no, thank you guys for being on yeah thank you so much for being moscow puzzles um <laughs> i was just listening to um cicadas are sensitive to parallel lines yesterday and it's um it seriously is um every listen it keeps getting better and better to me so hopefully i'm going to be yeah. popping out to see you guys live sometime when you guys play one of those shows yep keep us uh in in mind when you're setting them up or let us know i guess is what i mean yeah we absolutely oh, yeah. keep us informed <laughs> that's it absolutely 100 percent. cool well so yeah thank absolutely. you guys for Thanks being for on yeah thanks cool. all right Thanks again